Hail y'all, Angel here, your co-host of the Science Witch Podcast. We are still recovering from what was an amazing Mystic South. Shout out to all our new listeners. And Inku is currently traveling with Trogan and Jackie and his mama on a Take Yo Mama Out West Coast tour. Daniel and I are working on getting out the interview we did with the curator of the Portland Puppet Museum, but in the meantime, I wanted to share this episode of Who's in Bloom on the Southern Magnolia on our main RSS feed. I feel this is a topical to some of my feelings from my brief time back down home visiting my family after Mystic South and a summation of some of my thoughts about being a Southern transplant to the Pacific Northwest. If you are interested in listening to our presentation from Mystic South, we have it available on Patreon, which you can access for only $1 a month. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube, where we will be posting more video content, including a field report from one of the oldest live oaks in New Orleans. We are also excited to announce that we will be collaborating with Rabbit Hole Productions for a benefit show to support the Rainbow Railroad at Honey Latte Cafe in Portland, Oregon on Sunday, August 27th. We'll have live performances by drag queens, as well as three bands playing, including Ominix, Heaven Skate, and Dog Cult. And comedy by me with a random musical interlude performance by me and Daniel. If you can't join us live, we'll be streaming it on our YouTube channel, so folks all over the world can tune in and see us perform and even donate to support the cause. We hope you'll check us out. And help us raise funds to benefit the Rainbow Railroad, which is an organization that helps trans people access gender-affirming care. Check us out on our website for more information and for the flyer. And now, without further ado, here's my Who's in Bloom episode on Southern Magnolia. Welcome to another edition of Who's in Bloom. I'm your co-host of the Science Witch Podcast, Angel. And today, I'm going to talk about my first plant, love, and the flower that will always represent down home for me, the southern magnolia. The first plant I remember having a relationship with was a southern magnolia tree, scientific name, magnolia grandifolia. I would climb up in the branches of this tree when I was five or six years old and spend hours in its branches telling its stories. It probably looked like I was talking to myself, but I was telling the tree stories. And I knew innately, in that way only children know, that the tree listened. I was so happy to see that the tree was still there when I visited back in October of last year and drove past my childhood home in Lacombe, Louisiana, and found the exact magnolia I would spend so much time as a child in, the tree that made me the witch I am today. I have a more complicated relationship with the Southern Magnolia now as an adult. Having been born in Southern Louisiana and raised mostly in Southern Mississippi, the Southern Magnolia is the state flower of both states and it signifies all the complicated and at times problematic aspects of being Southern. But also, this tree represents resilience, beauty, and an intoxicating scent that makes you stop in your tracks and take note that the Southern Magnolia is in bloom, even if it's 95 degrees Fahrenheit and 99% humidity in the Deep South. The Southern Magnolia 
is a member of the Magnoliaceae family, which includes over 200 species of trees and shrubs. It is the only species of magnolia native to the southeastern United States. The southern magnolia is a large tree, typically growing to be 60 to 80 feet tall, with a trunk diameter of up to 3 feet. The leaves are large, simple, and evergreen with glossy, dark green appearance. The flowers are large and showy with a creamy white color and a strong, sweet fragrance. The flowers bloom in the spring and late summer, and they are a popular source of nectar for bees and other pollinators. One of the things to note about magnolia flowers is what I like to term dinosaur flowers. Not only are they huge, but they are one of the most basal branches on the tree of life for flowering plants. Magnolias evolved on Earth as far back as 95 million years ago during the Cretaceous period at a time bees did not exist. So magnolias evolved to be pollinated by ancient insects, which are the ancestors to modern day beetles. Due to this relationship, magnolia flowers have tough carpels, the female part of the flower, to avoid damage from the beetle mandibles as they feed looking for pollen. The carpels also mimic the stamens, the male part of the flower, to help trick the beetle into spending more time on the flower and ensuring pollination. Magnolias are also recognized by their fruit, which is cone-shaped aggregate of follicles. These cones vary in size depending on the species, will appear somewhat fuzzy and red with reddish-orange seeds that ripen and burst out out of the folliculum or fruit by early fall. The flowers of southern magnolia can be used in a variety of dishes. They can be added to salads, desserts, or even to make tea, just like their Japanese magnolia counterparts. Southern magnolia flowers are edible. The flowers have a sweet floral flavor that pairs well with many different foods. The leaves of the southern magnolia then can also be used in cooking. They can be added to soups, stews, or even make a tea. The leaves have a bitter earthy flavor and can add depth to many dishes. The bark of the southern magnolia has a variety of medicinal properties. It has been used to treat a variety of conditions including fever, cough, sore throat, headache, and diarrhea. The bark can be taken as a tea or made into a poultice. It can be used to make a topical ointment and can be applied to the skin to treat conditions such as eczema or psoriasis. The southern magnolia is found in a variety of habitats, including forests, swamps, and along riverbanks. It is a popular ornamental tree and is often planted in gardens and parks. They are usually some of the first trees you see planted along the highways entering into Mississippi and Louisiana, as this is the state flower for both these adjacent southern states. The southern magnolia was first introduced to Europe in the early 1600s by French explorers. The tree quickly became popular as an ornamental plant and was soon being grown in gardens all over Europe. The southern magnolia was also introduced to Asia in the early 1700s, where it became a popular ornamental plant as well. The southern magnolia became a symbol of Mississippi and Louisiana in the early 1800s. The tree was chosen as the state flower of Mississippi in 1890 and was chosen as the state tree of Louisiana in 1900. The southern magnolia is a symbol of beauty, strength, and resilience, and a reminder of the rich history of the southeastern United States. 
Lost's history is at time impinges on the territory of the Lost Cause, which includes all sorts of Confederate apologist and racist tropes of the Deep South that toe the line with white supremacy that tries to erase the brutality of slavery and keep critical race theory from being taught in schools. It's one of the reasons I feel so conflicted about this flower now that I have lived out of the South for over 13 years. Of course, it's not Magnolia's fault it got appropriated as a symbol of antebellum South. The tree was around and known to indigenous people well before the settlers came in and turned it into their emblem. But the particular associations with this flower have made it difficult to have a full embrace of it as a symbol due to its fraught associations with the Confederacy as well as the reactionary elements that are still alive and well in the South today. Some of the oldest Southern Magnolia standing is located in Arkansas, specifically Washington Park in Arkansas. This tree is said to have been planted near an important road junction in 1839 by General Grandison Royson. It was near a blacksmith shop where rumored Jim Bowie fashioned his famous knife, one of the largest trees I ever encountered was located on the grounds of Roanoke, the mansion on the outskirts of Oxford, Mississippi, where William Faulkner resided. There is a huge magnolia tree that has an arching canopy that my husband and I would often hide away in to smoke weed when I was still in grad school. Another famous magnolia tree is located on the grounds of the White House and was planted by Andrew Jackson in 1828. As I mentioned before, Southern Magnolias are associated with the Confederacy and have been seen as an emblem of the antebellum South that signifies the, quote, lost cause for so many white Southerners. And like so many other things from my home state, it leaves me with mixed feelings about my identity as a Southerner. At times, when I tell people out West where I'm from, I inevitably hear the words, well, you don't sound like you're from the South as though I need to have some banjo twang to accompany my thick southern drawl to meet their expectations. Suppressing my southern accent has been an active choice, as once I moved out of the south, I became acutely aware of how people with southern accents are perceived. If you want to affect the accent of someone who is uneducated, bigoted, or stupid, the accent most people default on is the southern one. This means that those of us born in the South that leave the South have to code switch and curb our accents so as not to be automatically assumed to be stupid, bigoted, or uneducated. Since moving up to the Pacific Northwest, I have incorporated my Southernisms more into my normal speech pattern again, in part because it's seen as a bit more exotic out here and people find it charming. I like to use the advantages available to me, and I turn up the southern charm as it helps diffuse a situation or even endear me a bit more to someone, and I find it useful and will totally play it up. There are things that I am proud about from being from the South, especially the food culture and the music. Louisiana has the best food culture of any other place in the United States, and fight me if you disagree. And Creole, Cajun, New Orleanian cuisine is world-renowned. I also hail from the land where American music was born, and I've gotten to see live shows at blues clubs in Clarksdale, Mississippi, all the way down to Houma, Louisiana, and I am proud to be from this place. And I do talk about how much I love aspects 
to my culture that I get to export to the Pacific Northwest. But I never want to live in the South again. I feel I'm too queer, too witchy, too outspoken to feel safe being who I am in a place that violently suppresses dissent. Of course, I know a lot of amazing witches and queer folk who I love who also still live in the Deep South and thrive despite the hostile Christian fascist contingent that tries to repress queerness and witchcraft. One of the gifts of having grown up near New Orleans is that it represented this bubble where queer, witchy, voodoo, and alternative lifestyles intersected that gave me a safer place to express my identity than I would have found outside of New Orleans. But still, I know and feel the city of my heart will be one of the first U.S. cities to become the casualty of climate change. The entire coastline of Louisiana is disappearing so fast that they are having to retire zip codes. And yet the petroleum companies that promise jobs and income for residents have been left with nothing but toxic chemicals and much higher cancer rates. In the groundbreaking book by Arlie Russell, Hostchild, Strangers in Their Own Land, the author catalogs the rise of what would become the MAGA movement in Louisiana and how residents continue to sell out and vote against their own interests for the sake of the Republican lies that have wrought so much environmental damage and devastation across the state. This, along with the other hostile aspects to the political climate, including laws that restrict or outlaw abortion access and gender-affirming care, make it to where I don't think I will ever feel safe or want to live in Louisiana or Mississippi for the rest of my life. But I do love that I am from there and that I can share this with folks who live in the Pacific Northwest. And so it is with the Southern Magnolia. At a recent witch walk, I got to see the flowers in bloom and introduce their sweet, heady fragrance to some of the kids who were on the walk. I was delighted in their enthusiastic response upon smelling the huge blossoms and marveling at the dinosaur flowers. The tree doesn't have any foreknowledge of how it is a symbol of the racist bygone era of the South. The tree doesn't care that it was appropriated by the Confederacy and its symbol. All it cares about is being pollinated while it's in bloom by a beetle or an animal or even a small human smelling a giant flower on one tree then dashing over to smell a giant blossom on another tree. Come fall, the tree will have its cone-lined fruit structures, and then, hopefully, more southern magnolias will grow from them, continuing the ancient cycle that has been happening for almost a 100 million years. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Who's in Bloom, and thank you for being a Patreon supporter. Stay tuned for our next episodes on the Lotus clematis and rose campion until next time don't forget to stop and adore the flowers